Uh, if you will, turn to the 83rd Psalm. To the 83rd Psalm. Psalm 83. Um, after such a glorious song service, I pick an imprecatory psalm to preach on. Uh, you may think, man, that sounds inappropriate, but, um, but I pray that it won't be. Uh, the title of the message will come from the very last verse of Psalm 83, verse 18. The title of the message is, That Men May Know. That Men May Know. So, there's approximately around 14 imprecatory psalms. This one is written by Asaph, one of David's chief musicians. Um, and, and what is an imprecatory psalm? An imprecatory prayer or imprecatory psalm is, is a prayer from, from God's chosen children of Israel that they would pray to invoke God's wrath upon their enemies, those who were oppressing them. These were, these were prayers for, for God to, to come down and, and curse His enemies, curse their enemies. And so, um, I, while again it, it can seem, man, is that, is that appropriate? Is that applicable for us today? Um, these psalms were not put in Scripture by mistake. These psalms are divinely inspired. And even Jesus Himself quotes from the imprecatory psalms three different times. Um, and then you'll remember um, Revelation 6.10, just, just reading this uh, this week, the martyrs crying out in heaven. In Revelation 6.10, the martyrs crying out. So speaking of, of the martyrs, those who were slain... Uh, for their faith in Jesus Christ, they cry with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So martyrs would cry out imprecatory prayers for their oppressors. And so these are legitimate prayers. These are prayers, I believe, that should be prayed by believers. But having said that... Uh, this is very, very important that we are careful and balanced in how we do that. And the reason is, is because Jesus also says, love your enemies. Pray for them that, that, that bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Uh, if one, he would say in Luke, Jesus would say, if one uh, smites you on the one cheek, offer the other also. Turn the other cheek. Paul would tell the Roman saints to do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So where is the balance? I believe the key to rightly uh, praying imprecatory song, imprecatory prayers is, and, and doing it in a God-honoring way, lies in where is our heart? What is our motivation behind it? Is our motivation, I'm just angry and my, my sinful vengeance is just, I, I want to see vengeance carried because I'm angry, or is it really a heart like Asaph had, a heart that is so jealous for God's glory that he cannot see to see the he cannot stand to see the name of God desecrated? Um, my keyword study Bible has a helpful um, exhortation regarding imprecatory prayers. It says it is helpful to remember that these psalms are not hastily worded expressions of anger but carefully written works of literature. They are not the result of human hands, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. I think that's a, a very, very important reminder. And before I read, just give a little context. This is probably the context of the psalm written again by Asaph is probably in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when Jehoshaphat is the leader of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel at the time. And they are surrounded by three different armies. They're surrounded by the Ammonites, the Moabites, and uh, the children of Esau, the Edomites. 
They're surrounding Judah and they are set to ambush them and destroy them. Never been there, thankfully. That the, the three different armies are threatening to ambush. And so what does um, Jehoshaphat lead, his, lead the children of Judah? It says that he set himself to seek the Lord... And he called for a fast, and they cry out to God, and God answers them there in Second Chronicles 20 by telling them, Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. And then guess what happened? What they did as their, as their uh, battle tactic was they did what we just got, do, got done doing for about 30 minutes. They sang praises to God. And as they went out and sang praises to God... It says that God set ambushments against the enemy and they were smitten. So that is most likely the context of this psalm, but I really think also this psalm is is representative of all of God's enemies, both past, present, and future. So let's read Psalm 83. And again, it's... it's, um, 18 verses, and it's just broken down. Verses 1 through 15 is is just the imprecation. And then I believe the, the last verses are just the purpose of the prayer. So let's read Psalm 83. Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people, and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent, they are confederate against thee. They have formed an alliance against thee. Verse 6, The tabernacles of Edom, and the Ishmaelites of Moab, and the Hagarenes, Gebal, and Ammon, and Amalek, the Philistines, and the inhabitants of Tyre, Asur also is joined with them. They have holpen or helped the children of Lot, Selah. Do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to Sisera, as to Jabin at the brook of Kison, Kison, which perished at Endor. They became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yea, all their princes as Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession." O oh my God, make them like a wheel, as the stubble before the wind, as the fire burneth a wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire, so persecute them with thy tempest, and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled forever, yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that Thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the Most High over all the earth. Praise God for the reading of His divine, inspired, and sufficient and authoritative Word. So, as you can see, this is no doubt a time of great distress. I mean, you can just hear it in His voice, in, in Asaph's voice. Keep not silence, O God. Hold not Thy peace. Be not still. Lord, we are surrounded. What are we going to do? We are for sure going to be destroyed here. Do not keep silence. Thine enemies have made a tumult. They hate thee. They've lifted up the head. He is beseeching. Asaph is beseeching God on behalf of Judah. 
right here. You know, it says in verse 4, he says, They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. You remember a while back, Brother Isaac preached a whole series uh, from the book of Esther. And you remember Haman, that wicked Haman? You remember Haman in Esther chapter 3 was uh, promoted by King Ahasuerus. Is that right, Priscilla? Did I say it right? Yes, okay. King Ahasuerus, that's an inside joke. You'll have to ask her dad. Uh, King Ahasuerus, um, the Persian king, promoted Haman to be basically his right-hand man. He was promoted to to be pretty much second in command over Persia. And I tell you what, Haman was such a glory-seeking, pompous, arrogant man that he commanded everybody as he would walk past the king's gate, he commanded everybody as he walked by to bow down as he walked by. Now, can you imagine if, if Brother Isaac or Brother Zach or me said, hey, now when I walk in, as I go, you know, either all rise or maybe all bow down as, as, we, as we walk by. And it turns out that Mordecai, who was Esther's guardian, I believe Esther's uncle, who, who cared for Esther, Mordecai was a Jew, and Mordecai refused to bow down. He refused to bow down. Haman finds out, and he is just filled with rage. Not only does Haman want Mordecai killed, he wants the whole Jewish race wiped out because Mordecai wouldn't bow down before Haman. Well, you remember what happens in a set of of just great providence, the providence of God that the... Uh, noose that Haman built to have Mordecai killed was the noose that Haman was killed on. But the point is, uh, they, he, th- this is what he's referring to here. Asaph, they, they have come, they want to they cut us off from being a nation. They want Israel to be no more in remembrance. They have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. They're forming an alliance. These Ammonites and Moabites and Edomites are forming an alliance against us. Oh God, hold not your peace. Hold not your peace. Well, does it not at times as a Christian seem like that today? That they are confederate against us? Maybe the Moabites of media, the Edomites of entertainment, the Canaanites of corporate America. Does it not seem that on on every front, academia, you name it, seem like the name of God is, is being desecrated, that there's just alliances and we're surrounded on every side? Do we not feel like Paul when Paul said that, what does he say, we're persecuted on every side there in 2 Corinthians? He names specific enemies. In verse 6, the tabernacles of Edom, the Ishmaelites of Moab, and the Hagarenes, and Gibal, and Ammon, and Amalek. And I want you to notice something about the enemies that he names. Many of these enemies became enemies of Israel as a direct result of taking matters into their own hands, doing things their way and not God's way. That's very instructive for you and I today. Think about this. He mentions the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites were a result of Ishmael, which was Abraham's son that he had with Hagar, Sarah's handmaid. Because, you know, God promised that Abraham would have a son. 
but they were getting on up in years and getting impatient and wanting to do things. Well, I guess God needs our help, right? And so, so let's, let's do this and we'll help God get, make His plan come to fruition. No, God doesn't need our help. God, needs, God demands our obedience. The Ammonites and the Moabites are a result of something that you can't really even speak of very, very much in mixed company. They are a result of Lot's daughters and what they, the sin that they committed with their own father. Because you know, their husbands died when Sodom and Gomorrah was, 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 Sodom was destroyed. And so, well, we have to keep the seed going. And so, let's take matters into our own hands. Do things our own way. Because surely, God needs our help, right? Wrong. The Hagarites, they're the Hagarines, they did battle against Israel in 1 Chronicles chapter 5 and 1 Chronicles 19 and 20. The Amalekites and the Edomites are uh, descendants of Esau. And then Assur is probably referring to Assyria, who was a, a dominant force and even overtook the northern kingdom of Israel for a time. And so, you can imagine, you can imagine that Asaph is clearly, clearly distressed. He is clearly in anguish. He is clearly angry. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people. They have consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. What does Asaph do? What does Asaph do? And you'll find this pattern throughout all the Old Testament, throughout the Psalms, throughout all of Scripture, really. Asaph, in order, I believe, to, well, as he's calling on God and begging God and beseeching God to, to defeat their enemies and ultimately God's enemies, what does Asaph do? He's going to, in verses 9 through 14, he's going to remember Israel's past victories. He's going to remember God's past faithfulness for Israel as he prays for the destruction of their enemies. And this is very instructive for you and I today, brothers and sisters, as we pray. Again, this pattern is throughout all the Old Testament, really throughout all Scripture, is remembering God's faithfulness in the past to encourage ourselves to fortify our trust in and our confidence in that He is the God of the past, who is faithful in the past, He's faithful in the present, and we know He will, and we can trust that He will be faithful in the future. I preached a message several months ago on, on the um, hitherto hath the Lord helped us, the, the Ebenezer stone. You know, it's, it's good to have an Ebenezer stone, stones of remembrance of God's past faithfulness in our life. Now, as he remembers Israel's past victories, the point of this should not be for Israel to puff their chest out, all right, we got this. No, the point is to remember that God is a God of, yes, He's a God of justice, He's also a God of great mercy. Because Israel's past victories that He's going to mention here in verses 9 through 14, well, they got in a uh, pickle, for a lack of a better way to put it, they got in trouble 
because of they did what was right in their own eyes. They gave in to idol worship. They gave in to rebellion against God and they would be driven to seek God after God knew how to get their attention. Just think about this. He mentions in verse uh, 9, "...do unto them as unto the Midianites." As to Sisera, as to Jabin, at the brook of Kison, which perished at Endor, they became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yea, all their princes as Zeba and Zalmanah, who said, Let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. Well, let me actually start. Yes, in verse, um, verse 9. Actually, let me, let, let's, yeah, in, in verse 9, he, you go back to refer back to Judges. And you remember in Judges, I believe it's Judges chapter 3, they just got through doing a whole, whole weekend, uh, several days meeting there at Jackson on the book of Judges and on the need of a, a hero and the ultimate hero being Jesus Christ. Do you remember that, that God used men named Othniel and Ehud to, uh, in His sovereignty to, to bring about peace for Israel? I believe for one of them, I believe, was 80 years and the other one it was 20 years of peace. And so in that peace... Weren't they doing what was right in God's eyes, right? They were worshiping God. They were following hard after Him. They were getting the idols out of the land. No, sadly they weren't. As God would give peace, they would forget God. And then what would happen was the um, Jabin, the king of Canaan, and Sisera, the captain of the Canaanite army, after Israel had gone their own way, God said, all right, I'm going to give you over to your enemies. And they oppressed Israel for 20 years. They oppressed Israel for 20 years, so the children of Israel are driven to God to cry out for help. What does God do? God sends Deborah, a prophetess, to come and to... overthrow them, and Barak, who was, who was the captain of, of the army, and remember, this was, not a, uh, this, was, this was a sign of God's judgment, that there weren't strong men, and so God used a woman, Deborah. You remember how God used um, Jael, the wife of Heber, who uh, the Canaanites thought were their friends, how He used this lady to eliminate Sisera, the captain of the, uh, of the Canaanite army, he, um, she got him calm and comfortable and asleep. And then she takes uh, probably a tent peg and a hammer to his temple. And there went Sisera. The point is not to be like, ha, 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 look at what God... The point is, see how God works. Really see the mercy, but also the, the sovereignty of God to destroy His enemies when His people didn't even deserve it. And so what happens? God gives them peace. But then what happens again? The children of Israel, again, forget God. They do what's right in their own eyes. And so God has to get their attention again, and so He gives them over to the hand of the Midianites. And the Midianites oppressed them for about seven years. The children of Israel had to constantly be on the move. 
They would, they would move into different houses and, and, and grow crops and lands and animals, and the Midianites would just follow them along and take their crops, take their animals, take their land. And so what happens again? Israel cries out to God for help. God, we need you. We are oppressed on every side. We are surrounded. We need you. And what does God do? What would you do? Are you kidding me? You're coming to me again after you forgot me again? You're really going to have the gall to come to me and, and, and beg me for mercy? Now that's not what God did. God sent Gideon. And of course, just as you would expect, 300 men, that's all he needs, right? You remember the story there in, in Judges 7 and 8. God, and I think this is, this is instructive too and really sad in a way, but God knew that, that, um, that they had to forget the amount, amount of men. It was thousands of men. They eventually get it down. Maybe it was 32,000 men. It eventually gets down to 300 men for Gideon to fight. And, and the reason God did this is God knew, he says it in, in Judges, Judges chapter 7, I believe, God knew that if that whole big army of, that Israel had were to defeat the Midianites, God knew that Israel was going to boast in their own military glory, their own prowess, and forget God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So God knows to get, their, get the army down, to whittle it down to only 300 men, and they use torches and trumpets, and they yell and, and scream and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And what happens? The Midianites end up killing each other off. They destroy themselves. The power of God. He would mention Oreb and Zeb. They were, they were princes in the Midianite army whom Israel slew. Zalmanna was um, executed by Gideon because Zalmanna and, and Zeba and Zalmanna had, had apparently murdered uh, Gideon's brother. And so Gideon slays them. Now the purpose for all of that is again to remember a faithful God who even when we at times forget Him is still faithful to not forget His people. Brothers and sisters, may that humble us. May that humble us and may that cause us, Lord, bless me to hate my sins more. Bless me to confess my sins. Bless me to, to sanctify me, Lord. Purify me. Well, what's the purpose, again, for this prayer? He would say, Oh my God, make them like a wheel or like a whirlwind. You can imagine like, like a tumbleweed or a dandelion that gets, that gets, you know, you blow a dandelion and it just goes everywhere, it scatters. Make them like that, as stubble before the wind, as the fire burneth the wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire. So persecute them with thy tempest, make them afraid with thy storm, fill their faces with shame. For what purpose though? Is it so my vengeance will be satisfied? My personal anger will be satisfied? No, no, the purpose is that they may seek Thy name, O Lord. Brothers and sisters, it is right to grieve over the sin in this world. It is right 
to grieve and to be and to be angry in a sense, in the right way, to be angry over sin. And most days it may feel, it does feel at times that evil is winning, that, that like Isaiah said was right, that, that, that good is called evil and evil is called good and, and light is darkness and darkness is light. And it is cause for absolutely legitimate grief and frustration at times over the state of this world. But let me ask you this and ask myself this. Does this grief over genuine wickedness, does it lead us to hatred and to bitterness and anxiety and irrational thinking? Or does it lead us does it lead us to be more and more jealous for God's glory? See, Asaph's desire, Asaph had such a passion that he wanted to see God, he could not stand to see God's name desecrated and God's people desecrated. He wanted God to be glorified. The idea of seek, when he says that they may seek thy name, O Lord, it has the idea of seeking God in worship and in prayer. Yeah, I think of Jonah and Nineveh. Remember, Jonah was sent to go to Nineveh. Nineveh the Ninevites were an evil, evil people that had, had done great wickedness for many, many years. Uh, just, just horrible atrocities for many, many years. And Jonah didn't want any part of that. He, he went the opposite direction. We know the story. Well, then God gets his attention Jonah preaches to them. God uses that and and Nineveh repents. And you would think Jonah was rejoicing, right? No, Jonah was upset. He wanted to see these people suffer. You know, in our sinful nature, that could be us too. That could be us. We want, want to see these people suffer. No, but Asaph, through the Holy Spirit, tells us that I want you, Lord, please, to get their attention Fill their faces with shame that they may be driven to seek your name. That they, may be, that, that they may be driven to worship you, to bow down and to worship you. In Psalm 59 verse 13, David, David would have the same desire. This, the context of this psalm is, is when Saul's guards had surrounded David's house ready to kill him. Remember then David's wife helps him sneak out a window and, and, and David would pray, he's praying a prayer of deliverance. He says in Psalm 59, 13, Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. Selah. What's the purpose? I want them to know God. You rule. I want them to know you, the one true God. Something that made a deep impact on me many, many years ago, probably over 20 years ago now. remember Brother Bobby Poe praying in a men's prayer meeting one time, uh, and he was praying for a, a uh, young lady, I believe, I, yeah, a young lady who had, who had just strayed from the Lord and, and was living a wasted life, um, had, had turned away from the teaching and instruction of godly parents and, and surrounded by the gospel for her life and had, had just, just gone into her own way and done what was right in her own eyes. And I'll never forget Brother Bobby praying this prayer. I remember he said, Lord, would you make her so miserable to the point that she's physically sick until she is driven to worship you, driven to confess her sins and follow after you. Listen, 
Brother Bobby didn't want to see this lady suffer just to suffer. He didn't, he didn't have some, some evil you know, desire to, to see bad things happen to this lady's life. No, he had such a desire for the name of God to be glorified in her life. That Lord, if it takes you making her physically sick to drive her to follow you, then let it be. Well then, the ultimate, the ultimate purpose, I believe, of, of really all the imprecatory prayers is the last verse. It's the title of the message. That men may know. That men may know. See, this was a time of great idol worship. Idols, actually physical idols, images. The gods of Ashtaroth, idols of Ashtaroth and Baal. And they would, they would cry out to these gods. Baal, I believe, was the, was the, the uh, idol of, of um, uh, agriculture. So they would, they would cry out to Baal and, and build these little shrines to Baal as they would... Uh, pray to, to Baal, pray to a statue that can't talk or, or, or listen or anything like that for their crops to grow and that the rain would fall. And, and all of this, uh, uh, Ashtaroth was the goddess of fertility. And so they were so given over to this idol worship. You know, we, we may not have images that we pray to or cry out to, but anything that rivals God as His rightful in His as His rightful place as supreme. I read the the, uh, the hymn this morning, the, the verse this morning uh, during before prayer meeting, Holy Ghost with Light Divine, where He says, "Cast down every idol throne until You reign supreme and You reign alone." Anything. It, it's not an image. It, it can be an idol of sports or entertainment or money or whatever. You, you fill in the blank in your life that takes God's rightful place as supreme over your life, over your heart. As opposed to that, the desire, the cry, is that men may know that Thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the Most High over all the earth. And that's where I want to close. By calling on you to know, to, 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 to present to you Jehovah, the self-existent, eternal, from everlasting to everlasting, the uncreated Creator of the heavens and the earth, the one with whom Brother Roy told us about this morning from Colossians 1, that all things were created by Him and for Him. The one who is omniscient. He knows all things. He is, has all wisdom. He is omnipotent or omnipotent. All power. He is omnipresent. The one who is not bound by time. I think of the psalm. I think it's Psalm 115. Not to us, O God, not to us, but to Thy name be the glory. And he talks about as opposed to the God, the idols, they have eyes, but they see not, ears, but they hear not. No, this God is the infinite God, the majestic God, the immutable God, the God who never changes, 
The God who is the blessed and only potentate, Paul would say, the monastinostis, only potentate, only sovereign, only powerful. The one who the grass withers, the flower fades, but His Word stands forever. The one who Isaiah 40 would tell us that, that He measures the earth in the distance, as it were, speaking as, as so men can understand, the distance between his thumb and his pinky finger. It's as if he holds the world in the palm of his hand. Who's going to counsel him? Who's going to give him advice? Because he is the wonderful counselor. He is, as, as Luke would say in Luke chapter 1, the one who reigns over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there is no end. So, presidents and Caesars, empires, Assyrians, Midianites, Canaanites. Think about I was watching Judah Ben Hur, uh, Ben Hur, a couple weeks ago. So the Rome, powerful. Powerful empires, the United States of America, they rise and have their day, but then eventually they fall. But Jehovah is still standing and will always be standing. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, Isaiah would tell us about God, I am the first. And I am the last, and beside me there is no God. His enemies are no match for Him. Be encouraged by that, brother and sister in Christ. He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10 would say, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting King. At His wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not be able to abide at His indignation. That is... The God who Asaph is proclaiming. That is the God who Asaph is so jealous for. And he cannot stand to see Him desecrated. Aren't you thankful? Believer in Jesus Christ, that this God came in the form of a lowly babe in a, born in a feeding trough as a humble servant, but will come back as a mighty, conquering king. Read Isaiah 63 sometime. This is talking about King Jesus, brothers and sisters. He would say in Isaiah 63, verse 1, Who is this that cometh from Edom? And Edom, really, we talk about, you know, that's the come from Esau. And Edom is really just a representative of all of God's enemies. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? Basra is the capital city of Edom. This, that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. 
This is that God, brothers and sisters. He will destroy His enemies. His enemies are no match for Him. He did it on a bloody cross. And He will come back. And that is why we do this on the Lord's Day. To remind ourselves to celebrate this Jesus. Praise God, make no mistake that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, if you're a believer today, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged by this God. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not converted... Well, this is for all of us. We need to be sobered. But I would especially call on you to be sobered and just remember that the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the successful work of Jesus on the cross is your only hope. It's my only hope. Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. His name alone is Jehovah. So let me close with just three words of application from Psalm 83. The first one is to hate what God hates. Hate what God hates. Hate evil. Do not be ashamed to pray for the abolition of sin. The destruction. Break the teeth of the wicked, O God, is a prayer. These psalms are inspired by God for a reason. But please hear me now. To hate what God hates doesn't mean we all just rally together and hate the, 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 the big sins of this world. It means to hate the times I'm prone to speak to my wife in a sinful way. The times I'm prone to procrastinate or be lazy or what you, you fill in the blank on you. I'm tired of exposing myself up here. <laughs> One sin, brother and sister, makes you an enemy against this God. One sin. So brother and sister, praise God for the blood of Jesus. That He took those sins on His own shoulders and bore them. So yes, may we be convicted of our sins. Hate what God hates, including our own sins. Secondly, ask God to give us honorable, truly honorable motives when we pray these prayers. Because I'm, I'm encouraging you, exhorting you to pray these prayers. These are Scripture. Pray these imprecatory prayers. But ask God to give, to, for our heart to be in the right place. To have truly honorable motives. To, to cultivate in our hearts a deeper love, a deeper reverence for God. Even in just the name of God. Listen, if, if, just, just the name of God. His name is a strong tower. His name is holy. The thrice holy God. So by all means, don't even use His name unless we are using it in an honorable way. And may we be so sensitive, if I can say it that, sensitive for His glory, jealous for His glory, that when it is desecrated, it, it just, it, we, we can't stand to see it. And so, so may our prayers not just be because we're mad at people. We're mad at people who disagree with us. No, but that our prayers are 
God-focused, not self-focused. How do we do that? Well, we should pray another prayer of the Psalms. I think Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, search my heart as I pray this prayer against your enemies. And just know, Lord, that I'm an enemy against you outside of Christ. And then finally, I would say, ask God to cultivate a fresh desire to see those who have been enemies against God, those in our communities and family members and and those in in, uh, nations confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Listen, remember His promises that He has a people in every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, and people. And you know, we can rejoice in this and be encouraged in this because the truth of election, we know this will happen to some some degree, that we know that all His elect at some point will be regenerated and be converted. Uh, 2 Peter 3 would say, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, that not willing that any, who is the any, the usward that He's talking about, that not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we should be encouraged by that. Brother and sister, brothers and sisters, remember that the name of Jehovah is the Most High over all the earth. And let me read the words of Isaac Watts to close. The Lord Jehovah reigns, and royal state maintains, His head with awful glories crowned, arrayed in robes of light, begirt with sovereign might, and rays of majesty around. Upheld by Thy commands, the world securely stands, and skies and stars obey Thy word. Thy throne was fixed on high, before the starry sky, eternal is Thy kingdom, Lord. In vain the noisy crowd, like billows fierce and loud, against Thine empire rage and roar. In vain with angry spite, the surly nations fight and dash like waves against the shore. Let floods and nations rage and all their powers engage. Let swelling tides assault the sky. The terrors of thy frown shall beat their madness down. Thy throne forever stands on high. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for all parts of your word. Lord, bless us to remember, bless me to remember that just one sin that I commit, and you know that I, I'm a sinner, makes me an enemy against you. So Lord, as we pray these prayers against your enemies, may we remember not to do so out of sinful anger, May we do so humbly, knowing that outside of Your grace, O Lord, I'm lost. Thank You for the blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You that He is a conquering King, the mighty God. Lord, bless us to hate what You hate, to love what You love. 
Search us and try us. See if there be any wicked way in us, Lord. And God, I pray. I pray that we would see genuine repentance, genuine conversions, Lord. All for the glory of You, Lord, whose name alone is Jehovah and art the Most High forevermore. And it is in the name of Jesus. Amen.